Hello and welcome to the Personal Development School podcast. I'm your host, Thais Gibson, and I create regular podcast episodes to teach you about your relationships, attachment style, and the subconscious mind. My goal of this podcast is to give you tools and awareness you need to thrive in your relationships, feel deeply connected, and find harmony and fulfillment in your relationships and personal life. So I hope you tune in here with me each and every week. I'm going to take you through five really common protest behaviors that are typical for somebody with a dismissive avoidant attachment style. And what you can do as you follow along is keep a mental tally and really just look to see if there's any time that you find yourself having done these things, either in a current relationship, if you're in one right now, or in a past relationship, especially under times of pressure or stress in that relationship. And you can think of these things as being like your coping skill, the way that you would cope, but that sometimes have negative side effects or other potential negatives that come by using these coping skills. Indirect stonewalling. It's this idea that when you are potentially faced with a conflict or a problem, that you shut down and you sort of avoid addressing the problem. Maybe because you don't like conflict, because it can feel kind of unsafe or uncomfortable, or sometimes because you don't really know how to address it and try to make it better. And so you avoid sort of as a way of avoiding the discomfort or vulnerability associated with having to open up and talk about these different things. Number two is active stonewalling. And this can be when you're feeling frustrated or triggered. It's not that you're just avoiding and kind of shutting down, but sometimes you are shutting somebody out. And you may find yourself trying to make a point by speaking with silence. It's like you're trying to show somebody that they're upset and that they're not doing things properly by icing them out, shutting off, and sort of dismissing them in that kind of way to show that they have affected you. And, you know, while this is something that people can engage in at times from all different attachment styles, it's definitely something we see with dismissive avoidance the most. And it tends to actually be a really common coping mechanism for them because dismissive avoidance often communicate more through their actions than they do through their words, where you may see other attachment styles communicate more through their words by letting somebody know what they're upset about. Dismissive avoidance tend to show somebody when they're upset a little more frequently. Number three is sometimes flaw finding when you start feeling too close to somebody. In other words, you may find that you start really focusing in on the negative qualities that they have and use these negative focuses on a partner or a loved one as a way to justify pushing them away. Now, you have to be really you know, focused in to, to really notice this one, but you may find quite frequently that you highlight the person's flaws, you think a lot about their flaws, you become critical about their flaws. And again, the more you do this, the more you sort of create distance. And really what it is, is it's often a subconscious distancing strategy because a lot of dismissive avoidance don't like to be open and vulnerable. And sometimes having feelings for somebody actually kind of freaks you out or scares you as a dismissive avoidant. And the way that you'll deal with that is to create distance from those feelings by flaw finding and creating distance from that person. You may even find it manifests as stories like, oh, I don't really need this person. I would be fine without them. I would be okay if something bad happened. And rather than talking about the flaws that you see and trying to come up with solutions. So let's say, for example, you you are focusing in on how somebody's late to dates quite frequently. Rather than addressing it, you just criticize it and you don't talk it out or hash it out or do something productive. So pay attention to that one. 
Number four, you may find that you, when you are feeling frustrated because you tend to hold things in, and like we talked about in those earlier components of behavior, because you may find yourself wanting to avoid conflict, not talk about things or speak through your actions and try to shut people out, you may find that you can only kind of do that for so long before eventually you become passive aggressive in in some form. And really what this means is you may sort of like have these old things you're upset about from a day ago or a few hours ago sort of surface out as being a little passive aggressive or making like a, a sort of side comment to somebody about something. And it may have nothing to do with what you're actually upset about right here and now, but about something that was unresolved from a couple of days ago that's kind of now coming out into your communication later on. And even when you do that, you may, if you pay close attention, realize, hey, that wasn't even like intentional. It's not like you consciously thought, oh, I'm mad about yesterday. I'm going to make a rude comment today or a passive aggressive comment now. But instead, because you felt mad and those feelings were unresolved and they were held in for a while, that eventually it came out in a different way, which formed that passive aggressive comment or you know, way that you describe something or responded to something your partner did now, even though it was from before. And number five, you may find yourself getting into a frame of comparing the current person you're dating to past exes or to how they should be instead. Um, sometimes even in like a, an imagined version of reality. So even sometimes, you know, comparing to like how the perfect partner would act that you're going to find in the future or how your ex acted in that situation. And your current partner that you're dating shouldn't be acting this way because your ex acted differently. And so sometimes we call this like the phantom X. And sometimes it's this idea that the dismissive avoidant, again, as a subconscious distancing strategy, will focus in on somebody from the past and compare them to somebody they're dating in the present or the imagined version of somebody in the future that you're comparing to somebody in the present. And again, use this as a way to look at kind of their flaws. It sort of goes hand in hand with that flaw finding piece we were discussing earlier. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, this isn't necessarily like a coping mechanism or behavior, but one other thing about dismissive avoidance is that dismissive avoidance are often so much more sensitive to criticism than somebody would ever know because they don't really show their feelings too much, right? You won't outwardly show somebody that something affected you because again, it feels uncomfortable even giving that amount of vulnerability to a partner for them to know that about you. So as we went through these, if you got a tally of these few different behaviors, and if you saw yourself resonating with some of the ones we talked about in here, I'm not too surprised. This tends to be pretty textbook behavior of the dismissive avoidant. But what I want you to understand is that there's different ways of showing up in this area. So, you know, you're basically responding to things this way when you don't have a better way to meet needs underneath. So if you paid close attention, if your needs were being met, by your partner overall, you wouldn't usually have to resort to those behaviors that are all different forms of protective mechanisms. So what are the big needs that these are related to as a dismissive avoidant? Well, number one, dismissive avoidance really, if you pay close attention, value safety in relationships. They want to feel like they are safe. And number two, that they are comfortable. Dismissive avoidance tend to feel a lot of the time quite easily, like they're kind of walking on eggshells with other people. And so they avoid, or they flaw find to push somebody away, or they do all these things basically to be able to withdraw and get back to feelings of safety and comfort that they have when they are more autonomous. And it's a big part of the reason that dismissive avoidance also have this huge need for autonomy and freedom because they feel like 
when they can't properly deal with conflict or talk things out or hash things out, they tend to feel like, oh, I feel unsafe and uncomfortable and I want to push people away so I can get back into my safety and comfort zone and just have my freedom to do what I want without stress, without conflict. And this brings me to another really important need dismissive avoidance tend to have, which is actually to feel understood and supported. And when those needs are met, when they feel safe talking to somebody that they're in a relationship with, when they feel really comfortable with somebody and like somebody unconditionally accepts them, understands them and supports them. Then I want you to look at it this way. If we revisit those five behaviors that I mentioned earlier, how much would you still even need those behaviors if your partner met those needs, right? How often would you have to flaw find to create distance or push somebody away through avoidance or dismiss them or stonewall? Like you wouldn't have to do that if you felt truly like your needs for safety, comfort, acceptance, understanding, support were really, really met. So this is part of why knowing your needs is one of the most important things you can know in your relationships. And having self-awareness about our needs is so important because when we understand that what we need, what we need is, we, we can then proceed to try to find people who are going to meet those needs. We can share those needs with others. We can be more strategic and intentional about who we date so that we look for people who will meet those needs. And we can communicate those needs and see them through so that we can also have those needs met in our relationships, feel more comfortable and more safe, and then be able to open up accordingly. So I hope this makes sense to you. Very valuable stuff to pay attention to. Definitely has a huge impact on relationships. So I have some really exciting news and it's that integrated attachment theory training is back. In other words, you can be trained to become a relationship coach certified in integrated attachment theory in literally 60 days. So who's this for? Well, of course, this is for any individual who wants to make an impact and really be of service to others while also obtaining freedom and flexibility and abundance in their lives. And this is also for anybody who's already a counselor, a therapist, a coach, and just really wants to expand their toolkit. We've had so many people enter into the Integrated Attachment Theory program because they're just looking to obtain a certain degree of mastery in terms of understanding their own attachment patterns and also the attachment patterns of maybe their children or partner or other loved ones in their lives so they can really support those people and understand them more deeply. Now, please keep in mind that the last two times we ran this program, we filled up very fast. In fact, we oversold the programs and sold up completely. So if you're interested, click the link below to learn more and dive in with me. And I'd love to see you on the other side before seats run out.